we are going to finish looking at the three uh, things outlined in um, Micah 6 today, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about um, uh, seeking justice. And what does it mean to seek? How do we look for it? What, is, what does justice mean? Because if we're supposed to seek justice, we kind of need to know what it looks like. Then last week, we talked about loving mercy. And we defined what mercy was. And what does it mean to love mercy? To genuinely love mercy, right? We talked last week about you've got to love the mercy you've been shown by God. But also, also, you need to love to show mercy. That's generally the harder one for us. We don't love mercy nearly as much as we, as we should. And if you are curious, if you're like, well, I missed those weeks, you can go back on our Facebook. You can go to our YouTube, which uh, will eventually, the link for that will be put in the bulletins. I don't know if it was put there this week, but eventually it will be put in your bulletins and stuff. Uh, and then as well, you can look at our podcast, but not yet the one for last week because uh, we didn't record it last week. So sometime this week, my dad and I have to come in here uh, and re-record last week's sermon uh, so that it's up there on the podcast. But if you missed one, there are multiple places you can go back uh, and listen to them uh, because they all do sort of play together, right? We talked about when you're seeking justice, part of that justice is looking out for the oppressed, for those weaker than you, right? For those, uh, uh, let me, let me uh, keep my notes here, the widow, the poor, the orphan, those types of people. In the last week, we talked about mercy, and you, mercy means you have compassion towards someone who you have the power to punish. They'll play together. And this week, we're going to talk about the one that uh, Micah puts as last, but I think is the one that you need to actually start with. Because if you're not walking humbly with God, you're not going to seek justice the way that he wants you to seek it. You're not going to love mercy the way that he tells you to love mercy. So we need to look at what does it mean to walk humbly, right? So number one on your note sheets, in order to walk humbly with your God, he must be your God. Number one on your note sheets, be your, he must be your God. It's the, it's B-E, not B-E-E, uh, B-E, be your God. Revelation 1, verse 8 says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Colossians 1, 16 says, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Nehemiah 9, verse 6 reads, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. And then in John 1, verses 12 and 13, we read, but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to be your God, this involves two things, right? First off, you must recognize that he is God. Before he can be your God, right? You must recognize that he is God. And that's why we put those first three scripture passages up there. The Bible, and those are just three that I chose. The Bible is littered with examples of God showing that he is God. That he is more powerful than any created being. That he is the only being that was not created. And that all things are subject to him. I'm reminded of uh, uh, last, uh, during this week, a year ago, or two years ago, excuse me, I posted a, a status because Joe Biden was elected president, and I said, listen, whether you're happy with that or not, it's really not important. The fact of the matter is that God put him in office because Romans tells us God puts every single authority in office for all of time. He has done that. There's never been somebody in office he did not want there, and there was never somebody who wasn't in office that he did. 
So even over our authority, right, we look to whether it's our president or our congressmen and women or our local governments, right, or our state governments, anything like that, we look to them as our authorities. The fact of the matter is that God's the one who put them in place anyway. Colossians tells us, right, for by him all things were created. And the him there is not just, get this, is not just God the Father. Go and read the actual passage. It's Jesus. The Bible clearly states that Jesus is the creator in Colossians. For by him all things were created. It's one of the evidences of God, of Jesus being God, right? The Trinity, it's one of the evidences we get of that. All rulers, all authority, all thrones, everything is underneath him. He is sovereign. Now, sovereign means, right, we used to sing a song called Sovereign. Um, um, and I almost did it today, but uh, it's been a while since we did it, and I didn't just want to pull it out because I didn't think you guys would know it that well uh, since we haven't done it in like two and a half years. Um, but sovereign essentially means in control of everything, right? How many of you say, boy, I got lucky there, or that was lucky, something like that? Wow, most of you in here are way holier than everyone else in the world. I'm not asking if you believe in luck. I'm asking if you say you're lucky and stuff like that, right? There you go. The fact of the matter is, though, luck doesn't exist. Neither does coincidence, right? I've said it before, I'll say it again, for all the time that God keeps me on this earth. There is no such thing as a coincidence, because if there was, it would mean something is outside of God's control. There is no such thing as luck, because if there was, it would mean something is outside of God's control. Because coincidence means that something just happened. There's no such thing as fate. Sorry, you're not fated to have this happen. It's not how it works. There is God. He is sovereign. He is in control. And that should grant you a ton of comfort in this life, that God's in control of everything. He's in control of everything. I then picked in, uh, in John there, I picked the John passage, but there's a bunch of passages in Scripture. You, you need to recognize that he is God, but he's the thing. The fact that he is God does not make him your God. The fact that he is God does not make him your God. I'm not saying he's not God over everything, I think I've made that pretty clear that he is. I am saying that just because he is God does not mean he is the God of your life. Quite frankly, most of the time, for most people, the God of their life is themselves, And everything spills out of that. We might say, well, alcohol is the God of their life, or drugs, or, or gambling, or whatever sin you want to pick, right? Even nonsense, right? Football rules their life, right? Sports, music, right? Stuff that's not wrong. That's not the rule of their life. The rule of their life is still them. They are the ones sitting on the throne of their life. They are their own God. And man, I don't want to be on the throne of my life. That's not true. I do. It'd be a terrible thing when I am. Because I am not sovereign, I am not the creator, I am not the sustainer. I'm just Sam. So you have to accept him as your God, or as I put it here, accept salvation, right? But as many as received him, he gave the right, the right to become children of God. You have to acknowledge he is God, 
But that's not good enough. The demons know he's God. So congratulations. If you accept that he is God, you're on par with the enemy. Good job. You have to accept his gift as well to make him God, the Lord of your life. In order to walk humbly with your God, he must be your God first. Church, there will be times in your life when, you, when he is not the God of your life. There will be. You might have been saved for 10 minutes or 40 years. There will be moments when he is not. You need to turn around and put him right back on the throne as soon as the Holy Spirit brings that to your attention. Because if he's not the rule of your life, not sitting on the throne of your life, you will never be walking humbly with him. He must be your God first. Number two on your note sheets now, the journey. Number two, the journey. One of my favorite things about this is that it says, walk humbly with your God, not crawl, not grovel, not, you know, drag yourself behind him, talking about how horrid you are and how evil you are and how you don't deserve this. You are correct. You and I are evil, despicable, vile creatures the, who sinned against God, who sin against God nearly every day. Probably multiple times a day. The fact of the matter is that without Christ in you, there is not a single good thing within any of us. That's the truth. You know what else is the truth? And I didn't put the scripture in here. But Paul tells us that that's what you were. God, when you accept him as your savior, is not asking you to grovel behind him like some whipped dog he's asking you to walk beside him upright not because you are so great but because he is know your place never get ahead of him you're not supposed to be leading God but I love that that Micah says God wants you to walk humbly with him church I'm going to say something that some of you might not like you are almost, not entirely, but almost useless to God as a Christian if you are spending the bulk of your time talking and thinking about how horrible you are. That's not use to God. Recognize, recognize who you were beforehand, but also recognize that God has called you to walk with him. He sees you because of what Christ did in the same way he used to see Adam and Eve in the garden. What did he do with them? He walked with them in the cool of the evening. God is not asking you to drag yourself behind him. He's asking you to just walk humbly beside him. Recognizing who you are and why you can walk there. But walking nonetheless. It's a unique position. Because everyone else has to drag themselves. You're told to stand and walk with him. We need to talk about humbleness as well then. If he's got to be your God and you're told to walk next to him, right? You're supposed to walk humbly. The first thing to do to understand what it means to walk humbly is to look to Christ. I can't think of a more humbling experience than being God, right? We read in Colossians, Jesus is the creator, right? He is God, all-powerful, omniscient, 
omnipresent, sovereign, holy, all of that stuff, right? Pick your favorite characteristic of God. That's what Jesus was. And then to say, hey, you know my most beloved creation, which within days, most likely, of me creating them, turned their backs on me, did the one thing I told them not to do, turned their backs on me, and for the past some thousands of years has been actively turning their backs on me. It got bad enough once that I eradicated everybody but eight people, and they still went back to how bad they were. I'm going to strip myself of many of my godly characteristics, come to earth, put on mortal shell, right? A God had never felt pain before. I'm not saying he had never felt sadness. He had never felt pain. He had never stubbed his toe at two in the morning when you're trying to get a drink of water or go to the bathroom. He didn't know what that felt like. I'm sure he did. He had never felt it before. Since he's all-knowing, I'm sure he, uh, he understood the concept of pain. Comes to earth, lives for 33 years, give or take, just, you know, months and such. And then dies the single worst death ever recorded in human history. Scripture tells us, descends into Hades for three days to take your punishment and rises again and never regains some of those godly characteristics. How do I know he never regains some of them? He's not omniscient. How do I know? Only God the Father knows the day of the rapture. Not God the Son. Only God the Father. I don't believe he's omnipresent anymore. Scripture tells us he sits at the right hand of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that's in and around us at all times. I don't believe he's om, uh, omnipotent anymore. God the Father's omnipotent. He willfully chose to strip himself of some of those characteristics for you. Talk about humility. Talk about humbling himself. This is God. God has no need to ever humble himself before anything. Yet he did. And then look at Christ as he walked the earth. Study the Gospels. What an example of humility. We read in so many places that he will wait for people and just spend days healing every sick and lame person that comes to him. We have no idea how many people he healed. We have no idea how exhausted he was because we have, in my, uh, from my uh, remembrance, one example in Scripture of his three years where he went off by himself and recharged. Other than that, he was pouring into people. He was serving people. Even on the day before he's going to die, he washes his disciples' feet. One of the most disgusting things you can do. Dirty, muddy, covered in crap, literally, washes their feet. You want to know what it means to be humble? Look at Jesus. Look at what he did. Humbleness means you're looking out for others over yourself. Not necessarily instead of. Over yourself. I'm not telling you you shouldn't know what you need or what you desire. I am telling you, humbleness means it does not matter because God has put somebody else there. 
We talk about in the church, right? Because you might say, Pastor, if that's the case, right? My needs are never going to be met. How can I meet somebody else's needs? You're right. I understand that. That's why God made the church. Because when I'm looking out for your needs and you're looking out for my needs, our needs are getting met. It's the way it's supposed to work, right? In a family, in a church, a husband and a wife, parents, kids, right? All that stuff. Now, not as much. Kids aren't supposed to necessarily look out for the needs of their parents, um, as you know, as in the same way. But um, it's supposed to be a cycle like that. It's a very difficult thing. It is incredibly countercultural. Uh, you know, we do a Bible study on on Thursday mornings at at ten thirty, and you guys are all welcome to come. We're walking through Matthew, and one thing uh, uh, that Jan often says, and I love it, Jan often says is that the the Christianity is upside down, backwards. It doesn't make sense. It goes against everything that culture in the world tells you is right. Culture in the world tells you, right, we're in this generation of self-love. Love yourself. Why? What about you is lovable? I don't want to burst anyone's bubble here. We're not really lovable people. We're just not. I know me very well. The fact of the matter is that God never calls you to love yourself. You are supposed to love your enemies as you love yourself. But that's because he knew you were going to love yourself too much. So he turned it around and said, love your enemies just as much. You are called to look out for the good of others. To love others above your own needs. Walking humbly means you seek justice, like we talked about two weeks ago. It means you love mercy, like we talked about last week. Countless books, sermons, Christian songs, stuff like that, have been written on the idea of humbleness. It is vital in the life of a Christian. And you are supposed to walk humbly with your God. Let's apply it to our lives now. I want to ask you this question. And I asked you it a little earlier, but I want to ask you this question. And it's a question you should be asking yourself multiple times a day. Is he your God? Or word it differently, who's on the throne of your life? Right? If you want to word it that way, if that's a little easier to, 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 to grasp and such. Who's on the throne of your life? Because just because you're a believer does not mean he's on the throne of your life. It means he could be. It doesn't necessarily mean he is. There's a big difference there. There will be times in your life when he's not. Okay? Recognize it. Go to him. Ask for forgiveness. And ask him to be put back. And then make your necessary changes to get him there. church, if you come to me, right, if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Sam, I don't know why, but I've really been struggling in the past couple of weeks, months, years to put God as the throne of my life, I'm not going to go, well, you're just an unspiritual sinner, aren't you? No, I get it. I get it. I've been there many times. I will be there many times again. So will you. It's one of the reasons we're supposed to be together so we can help each other recognize when that's happening. Ask yourself multiple times a day. If you need to, right? I didn't write this down as a practical thing, but it's a good idea nonetheless. If you need to, do it at each, when you wake up, 
at each meal and when you go to bed at least five times. Because most people generally eat three times a day, right? If you don't eat lunch, maybe do it at 12, right? Take stock of where you're at and who's on the throne of your life in that moment. Be honest with yourself. Or more importantly, ask God to be honest with you because we deceive ourselves all too often. But you have to be constantly taking stock of who is on the throne of your life. And then secondly, secondly, uh, uh, this is a practical thing that will help you um, to recognize God and who God is. Choose one attribute of God to study. Choose one. It can be his omnipotence. It could be his uh, omnipresence, his omniscience, his, uh, 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 his holiness, right? Choose one. If you don't know, just Google a list of the attributes of God. You'll find them. Choose one and do a study through Scripture. Not go find a book at Parable or something like that. I'm not bashing Parable by any means. But I'm saying start with this book. And study what that attribute of God means. The examples you see of it in Scripture. And then if you need some supplemental work to help you out, do that. Right? I'm not bashing. I use devotionals. I use Bible studies all the time and stuff like that. I'm not bashing any of that. But it's got to start with what Scripture says. I was recently watching a, um, uh, uh, it came across my Facebook feed, a Jordan Peterson uh, interview. If you don't know who that is, he's a, um, I don't think he's actually a Christian, I don't know, but he's a uh, uh, Republican sort of speaker. He speaks about a bunch of stuff. Um, very controversial person. I don't watch much of his stuff, but this one caught my eye. Because a woman asked him in the audience at the interview, they asked him, with everything that's wrong in the world, right, climate change, wars, the economy, uh, all that kind of stuff, right? How are we supposed to focus on changing ourselves when there's so much to change in the world? And he said, well, that's just it. You can't change the world. You can change yourself. I want to amend that. He's right, you can't change the world, and you generally can't change yourself. But you can allow God to change you. We talk so often about we see darkness in this world and evil in this world. We need to fix it. Yeah, maybe. But maybe more importantly, it starts with you. And if you're not walking humbly with God, you will never change the world, let alone your church, let alone your family, let alone yourself. It starts with you. I said this at the beginning and I'll say it now. You won't seek justice unless you're walking humbly with God. You might seek justice by your definition of justice, but it won't be the right one. You won't love mercy. You won't love to show people kindness and forgiveness and love and mercy unless you're walking humbly with God. So as we jump into a new year, right, we're, we're three, to, uh, you know, two-thirds, three-fifths, somewhere around there, right, of the way through January. I want to encourage you to walk humbly with your God, to seek justice and to love mercy, but start by walking humbly with God. Make it a point this year. Make it a point this month. Make it a point this week. Make it a point today, in this moment, 
Start now. Not a week from now. Don't worry about what tomorrow holds. Start now. Would you pray with me? Father, as we, um, we wrap up the beginning of the year, if that makes sense, I thank you that your word gives us instruction on how to live, on how to be. I want to thank you for who you are. Too often, God, we worship you, not, not too often, right? But we oftentimes worship you because of what you have done for us, and that's great. But the fact of the matter is that if you had never done any of it for us, you would still be the only one worthy of worship because you are God. And I thank you that you are God. I thank you that you, you command us to walk humbly with you. You command us to walk humbly with you. You say, I've picked you up. I've lifted you up. Walk beside me. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I pray you would help us, Father, to grow. To begin that process, or not to begin, but to continue that process of changing. So that more and more often, you are the God of our lives. Father, I praise you. We praise you. We love you. It is the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Give us a great week, a great uh, uh, time to worship you. And it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen. And amen.